Welcome to Bare Roots, the podcast that unearths the truth. Allegedly. We're your hosts. I'm Alina. And I'm Shannon. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Bare Roots Podcast. Today, Shannon and I are going to be talking about an exciting woman in history, and her name is Anastasia. You all probably have heard of her. You know, she's a very interesting and iconic woman in the royalty world and also just in general. She's very iconic and mysterious. And today we're going to really dive in and talk all about her. How are you doing, Shannon? How are you feeling about today's episode? Feeling really good. So I don't know much about or I didn't know much about the czar history of Russia before researching this episode. But I do remember taking Mr. Vossen's class in high school with you and he had us watch a movie that was about World War One, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it was, I think it was specifically on the Tsar family because they followed, yeah, they followed the Tsar and it was an old movie. And I just have like one scene burned into my memory and that's of the Tsar coming back from seeing World War One or seeing a couple battles. And because Russia did such, oh my God, they had incredible losses. Mm-hmm. And he just, I just still remember, it's burned in my memory, the, he walks into the palace and he just, he just collapses to his knees in grief. And I think it might be burned in my memory because Mr. Fawson acted it out too, like in front of the class because mm-hmm. <laughs> he would typically do that. But that is something that's burned into my memory. And I'm excited because Anastasia, you know, is his daughter. She was the youngest daughter of the emperor. And They all got executed in 1918, but did they? We don't know. We don't know. Now we're going to talk about. And speaking of learning about the family and the history, I just remember distinctly learning about the boy, Alexei. I think that's how you pronounce his last name, right? His first name? Yeah. Yeah, Alexei. Some places say Alexis, but... yeah. For some reason, I had always imagined his name actually being Nicholas or Junior. (laughs) (laughs) You would think, though, right? After, like, being the first boy, finally. Yeah, you would think so. But the mom's name was Alexandra, so I guess. I guess she took rain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I just remember learning about his health condition of having hemophilia. And that was really the first time I was introduced to it at all. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, what an impact having that health condition had on the family, because considering he was the only boy, you know, he was going to be the next czar. And as a boy, having to really protect and make sure that you are in the safest, you know, living environment possible and truly living in a bubble just for your own safety. Mm -hmm. I just felt like that must have been so much stress on the entire family, especially one being a royal family, you know, and the only boy. So that must have been a lot of pressure for them. Yeah, I really thought I always thought that that was really bad luck. Like Mm -hmm. he was the youngest. He was the youngest. Yeah. Yeah, So so they finally had the boy. Yeah. Yeah. They finally had it, had him. And then, you know, and then has this really horrible. Yeah. Health condition. Exactly. But. Today, I'm really excited to be talking about Anastasia because this was actually a topic that I was 
re-inspired over the holiday break where on Disney Plus I Mm -hmm. found Anastasia which has always been one of my favorite movies ever since I was a little girl I don't know why but I've always had this fascination with Anastasia and I think that just really truly speaks to me and my personality and just being Mm -hmm. thoroughly invested in royalty you know mostly British royalty, but I can get into, you know, the Russian royalty as well. And that being Anastasia. (laughs) And I just would like to point out, I can't believe when I was watching this movie, you know, and this really inspired the whole podcast episode. And I texted Shannon, you know, like, we got to do Anastasia. Like, that's definitely something I want to talk about. Disney made a whole movie about a conspiracy theory. That whole movie is on a conspiracy theory, people. So it's true. You know, we can really take all of our thoughts and opinions and turn it into a children's movie. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many mysteries, you know, surrounding it. But today we are going to really dive in and talk about her, you know, what it all entails, her background and what went down and what do we think happens? Because there really is, you know, just, again, an air of mystery surrounding this woman. Okay, so let's jump into it. So Anastasia was born on June 18th, 1901, near St. Petersburg, Russia. And she was the Grand Duchess of Russia. And like we said, she was the youngest daughter of the Tsar Nicholas II, who was the last emperor of Russia. And the family line is the Romanov family line. They've been ruling Russia for 300 years. So that's a freaking long time. It really is. I mean, considering, is the United States even 300 years old? no right (laughs) so think about that people like this family had been ruling longer than the united states like yeah just this one family yeah yeah (laughs) wild so nicholas and his wife alexandra they had five children and their names were olga tatiana maria anastasia and alexi as the only boy and they lived you know relatively peacefully at the royal palace until their Nicholas, you know, kind of generated increasing public hostility during World War One. So I just kind of I couldn't remember exactly what happened that kind of got them to the point of being executed. So mm-hmm. I just want to give like a bulleted, very like <laughs> high level, like not deep um, <laughs> history lesson. <laughs> yeah, bullet point of kind of how this happened, how the downfall of this 300 year dynasty mm-hmm. happened. So Nicholas's father, allegedly, he didn't really train Nicholas that well to be a good leader. And he really believed in ruling with an iron fist. And he limited the press, he weakened political political institutions, and he enforced only Russian to be spoken in the country. So at this point, I'm pretty sure Poland was in there. Uh, like part of like the Soviet Union? This is before the Soviet Union. I think there were its own country then. But I mean, honestly, Poland is a crazy place. That, that history is like, it's been chopped up so many times. Yeah, I want to say, I, or maybe parts of it were, there was something that I was reading that like Polish was spoken and he basically outlawed Polish being spoken. Hmm, interesting. Um, like I you could, could only, it. yeah, you could only speak Russian. Mm-hmm. So when Nicholas's father died, he inherited a Russia that was kind of in turmoil because they were all, everybody was pissed off by this. And there were a couple days after his coronation, his crowning, 1,400 people died in a stampede. It's insane. Yeah. 
So not a good way to start your reign. Mm -hmm. And his government massacred 100 peaceful protesters in 1905. And then his wife, Alexandra, had a relationship with Rasputin. Remember that guy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Duh, he's iconic. <laughs> so she felt that he saved her son's life, you know, because he had hemophilia, which is the disease where if you get cut, you basically bleed out, you know. Yeah, you can't, you can't get clot. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I always thought the biggest thing that got me was uh, bruising. Because bruising mm. is intentionally or is essentially internal bleeding. So imagine mm. internally bleeding, but you cannot make it stop. Right. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. But she felt that Rasputin healed him and she had somewhat of a relationship with him. And I think we need to make a whole episode on Rasputin. I agree. He's a fascinating man. Very, very fascinating. But the general public didn't like Rasputin and that kind of put the royal family in a bad light too and then of course world war one was when it really really came all crumbling down because russia was not prepared to fight that war at all and i remember them being like they didn't have enough uniforms like they didn't have enough boots they didn't mm-hmm. have anything and um a 1.8 million military deaths occurred from russia alone in world war one and it was 1.5 million civilian deaths So this is absolutely insane. And that's like the scene I was talking about before. Like, it's just absolutely like the definition of devastating. Yeah, no, exactly. Especially even just hearing the civilian deaths like that. Just yikes. Yeah. So, of course, like it's not hard to imagine that after the war, Nicholas lost all control. So that's kind of like the environment we're in when -hmm. we're talking about this. Exactly. And I think it's also good to mention that. At that time, the czar was really the person who was in charge of not only the military, but also was in charge of political everything, right? So the people were really upset and they really wanted to have some sort of government representation similar to what the British people have, where they have parliament and then they have like the monarchy. Um, But he really didn't want to do that because obviously that would have, you know, he wouldn't have control, right? And that's his whole job is he's literally the leader of every single department, if you will. Mm -hmm. And after people kept like revolting and, you know, protesting and whatnot and were very unhappy, I believe he did uh, loosen his reins where he allowed some sort of government process to begin. But he also said that if he didn't like the people who were ruling, they didn't, he didn't like whatever they were trying to pass and whatever, that he could kick them out. And that really got the people just not trusting in him at all, which mm. is totally understandable. You know, yeah. it's like you can't really have a government institution where you're being a dictator at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's like the kind of like the background too and like the whole controlling thing which on a side note I just think it's really interesting me going into my royalty but the British I can only imagine the British royalty watching all of this go down and wanting to keep the people happy and I think they really had an advantage where they already had a parliament system in place Mm. so I think the parliament really helped them have this kind of kind of like a cushion you know like if people were upset like there wasn't not that they couldn't directly be upset with like the British monarchy, but they also had some sort of establishment, you know, all the blame wasn't put on the Yeah, exactly. Versus this family, they were taking the brunt of everything. Right, right. So in March of 1917, 
soldiers launched a mutiny and began seizing royal property. And Nicholas II agreed to abdicate the throne, so he was hoping to prevent a Russian civil war. The family was then exiled to the Ural Mountains, and they were placed under house arrest in April of 1918. And I just want to point out, of course this happened in April, I mean, would any other controversial conspiracy type situation happen in any other month? I don't think so. So no. I just want to throw it out there, people. It has to be April. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, when they were exiled at this location, the place that they hosted them in, I guess, if you will, they had created a wooden wall against like the windows. So that way, no one from the inside, aka the family, could see the outside world, which I just think is such a depressing type of situation i mean i even think like in jail cells you could at least look out the window right i don't even know mm-hmm. um <laughs> i'm i'm specifically thinking of alcatraz where if you are in like a certain you know location like you can see out the window which is a very pretty view but yeah mm-hmm. i imagine what it does to your psyche if you can't see the outside world right and th- these conditions weren't like what they were used to you know like this is not a palace and i was reading that they didn't have bed linens and like things like that so they were living very differently than what they were used to exactly things came to a head and the civil war could not be prevented the bolsheviks led by vladimir lenin fought to replace the imperial rule um, with a new communist regime which leads us to the execution of the family So on the night of July 16th, 1918, the Romanov family was awoken and they were told to get dressed and they were brought down. They were led down into the basement under the pretext that they were being protected from impeding, impending chaos um, of advancing, advancing counter revolutionaries. So it was the family and also a few servants that were with them. And I know there was a doctor too. They're like family doctor. And they were arranged in two rows for a photograph, is what they were told. And they were told that they needed to take this photograph to quell rumors that they had escaped. But suddenly, nearly a dozen armed men burst into the room and shot the Imperial family in a hail of gunfire. So those that were still breathing when the smoke cleared were stabbed to death after that. When, you know, going into the details of, you know, the execution, there's been uh, some alleged talk that the execution was really poorly planned. And it's been thought that it was done by some like drunken gang of men who, you know, probably were ordered to do it. Maybe they had some personal like vendetta against them, but it just it wasn't some sort of necessarily like a skilled military execution i guess if you could say and interestingly enough the family you know it's said that if not all like a majority of the family had survived the bullets as they were wearing quote-unquote bulletproof vests and essentially what that means is what they did which i think is very smart of them when they knew that they were in trouble because they've had some time right like we talked about it in march april and now it's july what they did was they hid their valuable jewels by sewing their jewelry like under their garments. So when the bullets 
hit the people, like the family, it actually ricocheted all over and even like got possibly even on the men who were uh, firing at them. So they were able to survive. And that's kind of where, like Shannon mentioned, when everything, like the smoke cleared, they were stabbed to death if they had not died from the gunfire, which is just so brutal. And you can even see photos of the markings on the wall. Mm, Yeah. And it's just like, you know, there had to been something gruesome for that to have happened, you know? Yeah. 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 And I... I definitely, it was definitely ordered. Like it definitely wasn't a group of people just coming in and shooting them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But whether, you know, obviously we don't know if they were drunk or not and Mm -hmm. how sloppy it was. But yeah, there were a lot of reports of them sewing the jewels into the corsets of the girls and stuff. Mm -hmm. I know I saw a few things that were like, specifically the girls had a lot of the jewels and they were hoping to get away slash be rescued. So Mm -hmm. obviously they wanted their valuables on them. Mm -hmm. And then- it also, I guess, benefited them for this situation other than, you know, the stabbing afterwards. Yeah. And like, even during that time, they were reaching out to extended family members trying to get like refuge and go into another country. So I'm sure they were just probably hoping to buy time to do that. Right. Oh, and yeah, that's that's something I read too, that they pleaded or they tried to appeal towards the British and the French governments and they denied them. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that they regret doing that or do they think that? I think so. I feel like I remember seeing a documentary that somebody in like the British family, they kind of like regret not because I'm pretty sure it's a cousin. Because essentially, if you look at the family line, guys, I'm just going to go a little crazy here. <laughs> we have Queen Victoria, who's considered the grandmother of Europe because she had like, I think like nine kids, eight kids or something like that. So divide, put each kid in a European country, essentially. And Alexandra, pretty much like a direct correlation to like the British royalty. Right. So, which is I mean, shocking. She, yeah. It's just insane that they didn't, they yeah, were that, looking for asylum. And, yeah. And they didn't take her in. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is something that puts a mark on the British family mm. in terms of like public, you know, like viewership. Yeah. That they could have done something. So, after what went on in the basement, the executioners took the bodies to an abandoned mine shaft about 14 miles from where they were, and they actually burned them with gasoline, and then they doused the bones with sulfuric acid to try to disguise the remains. What was left, they threw in a mine pit and covered with, covered the, with dirt. So, no bodies were immediately found by, you know, like the general not the general public but you know what i mean like people that weren't in on the on the murder on the execution reports from russia were really unclear about it and at first the bolsheviks reported that only nicholas was executed and that the wife and the children were in a safe location and it was just so up in the air that the grandmother she she took refuge in crimea and she doubted the news of the family's death and I guess, like, the executioner's accounts were really muddled after the fact as well. And that invited a lot of speculation, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And this, like, really is the storyline of Anastasia. And I just like to throw that in there. <laughs> the so, movie. wait, how much did they show? In the movie? Yeah. They... Okay, so I'm not going to, like, obviously give you the full details. But basically, they just show Anastasia and the family running away. 
and then they show like a picture like of a family mural and then they kind of just make it go dark kind of like a black and white and then they all had gotten executed but they didn't like go into detail yeah i was gonna say i'm like this is pretty dark for disney like i know (laughs) these are dark but like (laughs) yeah i'm like how did they spin this one (laughs) yeah they basically just show them running away from the palace and then like i said just kind of like a, and then they were no longer here well okay it wasn't until a little bit later that reports that the entire family had been killed and that was confirmed by the russian investigators and i had read too that supposedly them saying like oh only nicholas had been executed and that the family was alive so the people wouldn't be like oh my god yeah 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 that makes sense to me because yeah nicholas is the real threat followed by i guess alexi even though Mm -hmm. he's just a child but if you're trying to get rid of the you know yeah the aristocracy that you I guess have to get rid of the males, but yeah, you can see how the public opinion would not be good with killing kids. Mm -hmm. So in the years following the Romanoff's murder, speculation arose as to whether Anastasia and her brother might have survived the execution. And there were rumors, again, that they had been shielded from the bullets by the family jewels. And Anastasia was particularly prone to these ideas because, and we'll get into it, a number of women claiming to be her surfaced throughout history. So as we know, Anastasia's whereabouts inspired books and plays and movies and (laughs) Disney. (laughs) And then in the 1970s, an amateur archaeologist found a shallow grave containing well-aged skeletons of six adults and three children. And these findings were kept hush-hush from the public until the Soviet Union collapsed in the early 90s. So then in 1991, a forensic investigation identified that the nine bodies were the family and the servants. But since there were six adults and three children, we are missing two children. So one of the bodies was definitely the boy, Alexei, that was missing. And one of them was a girl and everybody assumed it was Anastasia. So this is, you know, the every these rumors and these ideas Mm -hmm. that they were alive are still living well into the 90s. And because it because their bodies had been burned, it was really hard for them. They knew that one of the daughters was missing, but they couldn't say it was Anastasia. Mm -hmm. But again, it was just popular opinion that it was Anastasia. And then in 1998, the family's remains were finally, they were buried in St. Petersburg. So the ones that they had found. And then in 2000, the Russian Orthodox Church canonized the Tsar and his family, which means that they became saints. And then it wasn't until 2007 that they found two more bodies or two more remains of people. And the DNA analysis discovered conclusively that they were both Maria and Alexei. So not Anastasia, but Maria. And they found these remains. They weren't obviously right next to the remains they already found, but they were Mm -hmm. not that far. And it's likely, or it's very likely that Anastasia was a part of the uh, remains that were found in the 70s. So it seemed pretty cut and dry, you know, like they found all the remains, it all added up. But the Russian in <laughs> the Russian Orthodox Church has reopened the case as of 2015 
claiming that the scientific investigations have been mishandled. So I read that. And I was like, oh, like, what do they like? Mm-hmm. Like, is that the conspiracy? Like, it's been a cover up or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But it seems like critics have accused the church officials of stalling the pr- stalling the investigation because they were reluctant to admit their mistake in handling the remains. So basically, like now that they're canonized, it's a little tricky because their bone, their remains are relics, like holy relics now. Because they're mm. saying so, it just kind of adds a little bit. I mean, they're already very important remains, but it adds a little bit more. So the church is like, we want to make sure they're, we want to be extra sure that they're Romanov. Yeah. Because then you have to do all of this, I guess, like ritual kind of situation if they are. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, the remains of Alexei and Maria have not been reunited with their family and buried. So they're still, I think, in a lab somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, which is really sad to think about. Right. If that it all is true in terms right. of like that is their very their bodies. Right. So yeah, I mean that was like definitely a lot of, you know, historical facts that we spewed on you guys, but even though it's dark, it's just very interesting in terms of all of the series of events that kind of like led up to that point. And right. Obviously, the aftermath being Anastasia. And could she have been saved? Like, maybe, you know, she was, like, the only one um, who was able to escape. You know, there's just, like, all these theories, especially with the handling of the entire situation. So we're now going to dive in and talk about the conspiracy theories regarding Anastasia. And the main one that we're going to to just be talking about is on the woman named Anna Anderson and she honestly really made a name for herself Mm. um you know if you talk about Anastasia or you research into it she most likely will pop up as there were you know a bunch of women who claimed to be Anastasia but she was definitely the most famous one that claimed to be her and she called herself Anna Anderson although there were some critics who did allege that her name was actually Franciska Szenskowska who was a Polish woman, so obviously not Russian necessarily. And later on in her life, she ended up marrying an American history professor. And his name is J.E. Manahan in 1968 and lived her final years in Virginia, U.S. Um, and then she um, eventually passed away in 1984. So we'll kind of take a little step back and kind of talk about her life and what she claims And kind of, you know, filling out like the puzzle pieces of, you know, could she actually be Anastasia? So in 1920, she had actually attempted suicide and was pulled from a canal in Berlin. And she refused to tell authorities her identity, promoting that mysterious air about herself. And she was eventually committed to the Dallorf Asylum, where she lived until 1922. And that is where the birth of her claiming to be Anastasia began and then that's when she announced herself like she was like hey I'm actually Anastasia you've been looking for me here I am I'm here and at this time Europe was filled with a bunch of Russian exiles who had fled the Bolshevik revolution so the idea of her you know being found in uh germany and possibly escaping and you know 
attempting suicide you know maybe she just you know was leaving a life that she had to because of this whole period of time so you know it's not super far-fetched in that sense and so when she did claim to you know becoming anastasia a number of sympathetic czarists rushed to aid her her anna and you know totally believed that she was anastasia And at first glance, if you looked at her, she was articulate and beautiful enough to be considered the last Anastasia. And that was definitely one of the things that people talked about when describing Anastasia is like her beauty, her looks. And she had, so Anna had scars all over her body, which she had said had incurred from the Bolshevik knives during the execution of her family. So definitely kind of starts adding up. And there was one Bolshevik soldier, she said, found her alive, had helped her, and she eventually escaped to the West. So, you know, again, think about that scenario. Again, very possible, just as thousands of people were doing it themselves. Several months later, after claiming to be Anastasia, she was released from the asylum and then moved in with the first of a long line of supporters. So during this time, there have been numerous Romanov relatives and acquaintances who interviewed her, understandably so, and many were actually impressed by her resemblance to Anastasia and just her knowledge of small details of the Romanov family life. And I can only imagine what those questions must have entailed, you know, I'm sure Mm -hmm. there was just like so many little things. It's like, oh, yeah, like how you would only know that if you had been Anastasia, although understandably Others were skeptical when she couldn't remember important events of young Anastasia's life and that she didn't know English, French, or Russian as well as she should have, some believed. And that... Yeah. When I I saw that, I was like, okay, thinking that if we're just going to think for a moment that she is Anastasia. When I was seeing English and French, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, if I hadn't had to use that in a few years, I also wouldn't be good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I saw Russian. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to know that one. <laughs> yeah. That's a little tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one's like a little hard to, you know, walk around. <laughs> yeah. And I don't the important events thing is obviously important. But I wonder like how young she was during those events, because like I can only remember a couple things of when I was, you know, really small. Totally. So it's a red flag, but it's not like a blaring red flag to me, I guess. The whole not knowing Russian, though, that that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. And also, I can only imagine going through a traumatic event like that if this really was her, right? Right, right. There's got to be, you know, some lost memory just in general. Uh, right, some like trauma past. loss. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And especially if you think about it, as we described on the record, it wasn't overnight where this happened where one night the people just revolted and then they were you know suddenly executed like the next day and they had really no warning at all it's like this was just a constant sense of fear and that they probably knew that something was gonna happen but I'm I'm sure they hope for the best that they could escape um you know and again like seek refuge somewhere but you know as a kid again if that really is you Imagine having that much time, like months, to be just in a fearful position. Yeah. I'm actually getting more and more mad at Britain right now. Because, like, why can't <laughs> you take in the kids? You know? Like, maybe yeah. leave Nicholas and maybe the mom. Yeah. Take the kids. You, they were related to you. And even, yeah, but, like, the mom, too. It's like, she's the one who's directly related. Like, why couldn't you take the mom and the kids? 
Like she yeah. is part of the family of the British line. And I can't she- imagine Russia could be that much of a threat because it's so unstable. It's not like it's right. this huge force that they're afraid of, like a counterattack, right? Like I don't. Yeah. I guess like and I don't also, know. Also, too, at that time, I mean, Russia. Okay, in World War One, Russia did end up being on the side of Britain, right? If I yeah. remember correctly. So, yeah. you guys are technically allies, right? Like technically, you know. <laughs> Maybe um, they just underestimated the situation, and they were like, "Nah, you don't need us." And then. I think so. I I think they genuinely probably thought that they could control the people or maybe they just didn't want to get involved, which is really sad to think about, like in right. terms of, no, we don't want to deal with this. Like, we don't want to. But they could have easily just put them in some random castle, I'm sure, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So they don't, don't have to be in London per se, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe they didn't want like the British people I don't know. Okay, I'm just thinking for a second, right? Maybe they didn't want the British people to start revolting against them because they're like, how could you support the Russian family? Like, they're horrible. Yeah, maybe. You know, I could I could see that. But still, I don't know. Man, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? <laughs> <It's true>. <laughs> <laughs> so continuing on with Anna and her lack of knowledge and just kind of people being really skeptical, they're were people saying that this could be a reason like why she you know doesn't remember important events or like the lack of language that she knows because of her reoccurring mental illness because again remember she was in asylum which led to short stays in mental institutions on several occasions so you know yeah, so she wasn't just in an asylum once it seems like she was there for a couple in- instances exactly And on February 6, 1928, she arrived to New York City and she held a press conference on the liner Burinagaria, (laughs) explaining she was there to have her jaw reset and that it had actually been broken by a Bolshevik soldier during her narrow escape from the execution of her entire family, aka the Romanovs. So she really used this as like, hey, doc. (laughs) Like, you know, can you fix this? Because I don't know if you heard, but, you know, my family was taken and whatnot. And um, when Anna uh, came to the United States, she was welcomed by specifically a man named Gleb Botkin. Probably it's Botkin. The son of the Romanov family, doctor. And his father, the doctor, was executed with the family in 1918. So he really had some sort of emotional ties. Right. And probably, like hoped that it was her which i can understand and gleb uh called her quote your highness and claims she was without a doubt the grand duchess anastasia who he had played with as a child she was really treated honestly as a celebrity when she stayed in new york she actually occasioned society parties and fashionable hotels worthy of the romanov air and when she registered for one hotel during her stay in uh, the city She had used the name Anna Anderson, which later became her permanent alias. So it's just very interesting. Again, like this truly wasn't just a one-time news article. Like this woman claimed to be Anastasia. Like, no, no, no. Like people who were part of the family, like truly believe this and as well as the general public. She's getting invited to parties. It's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, like it is legit. And Anastasia's uncle, and he was the Grand Duke of Hesse? 
was a actually anti Anna was a major critic of her and he had hired a private investigator to determine her true identity and what the investigator had found was that she was really Francisca Szenkowski or Kowska um, who was a Polish German factory worker who had disappeared in 1920 and that she had a history of mental instability and was injured in a factory explosion in 1916, which account for the scars. And these findings were published in the German newspapers, but were not proved definitively. So it's like, okay, now we got, you know, two sides of the coin coming in right now. And then in 1968, Anne Anderson um, married an American professor, as mentioned earlier, and uh, officially moved to the United States. And she lived her final years in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. So leading up in the years up to 1970, she sought to be established as the legal heir to the Romanov fortune. But in that year, West Germans court finally rejected her suit and awarded the remaining portion of the imperial fortune to the Duchess of Mecklenburg. So basically, I guess you could say like the government was like, no, like we don't see you as her. Right. Which, Which that must have been a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Right. Imagine. Yeah. Like at least it's going to a real duchess, you know, the one that we can follow a family line to. <laughs> right. She was probably hey. very excited. <laughs> Most likely. Right. So in 1984, that's when Ann Anderson did pass away. So later... In the 1990s, they were able to take genetic tests of, you know, her body on the tissues. And when they did that, they were able to establish that there was really no connection between her and the Romanovs. And instead, it had actually supported what the private investigator found, which was uh, her identification with the Shanskowska family. So kind of leaves it, you know. I don't want to say up in the air, but I guess it is kind of interesting to think, could she have been telling the truth? Would she have not? <laughs> I don't think it leaves it up in the air. They just did <laughs> DNA testing and like, you have no Romanov in you at all. And you have the Shankowska person all the I way. I know, <laughs> but like during the period of when she was alive, you know, like it leaves it up in the air. Like was the private no. investigator, right? Like, Your DNA you know. doesn't change when you're dead. I know, but I'm just thinking like if you were in 19, what, like 68, like, you know, who, what would you believe? Like you don't have science right. yet, you know? So I don't know. But to your point, yes, you're you're right. Like science doesn't really apply, so. <laughs> <laughs> That I think she's uh, actually related to the person that they had found. Makes sense. Yeah. So, Shannon, like, overall, where's your tinfoil hat? Like, where's your tinfoil hat on? I mean, I guess we kind of really talked about Anna um, in that it's probably not really on your head at all, I'm assuming, on her being Anastasia. But what do you think about that part one and part two being Anastasia in general? Or possibly, you know, another family member, like, could be, quote, unquote, like, out there. That we just like don't know, like survived this. Yeah, my tinfoil hat is on the shelf, and I'm kind of like out of the room for the Anna one. Well, certainly for the Anna one, I think she put up a good fight, and I think it is interesting. But mm -hmm. unless you want to say that they deliberately botched the DNA testing, yeah, yeah, um, which I don't know who would gain. Like, I don't. Well. Yeah, I don't, I just don't see that happening. And 
I, yeah, I think Anastasia, unfortunately, like, I love the idea that she escaped, mm-hmm. but I just don't see how it's possible. They were in a small room. They were all getting shot at. They were all stabbed repeatedly, and they checked to make sure they were not breathing, you know? Yeah. And it's not hard to keep track of, what was it? Eight. Yeah, eight bodies, you know? It's not mm-hmm. like there is a group of 20 people and one slipped away. It's like eight people that you have to cart. And then dump in the woods. Like, it's obvious that one's missing. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just, it is unfortunate. I think if you had asked me in, like, 2006, I'd be like, I don't know, we haven't found the bodies. But since we did find the bodies, that's, I would be more inclined then. But now that we kind of, it's kind of a closed case for me, unfortunately. And I did find it interesting. I'm like, why were two bodies away from the other bodies? And I don't know how true this is, but I saw something briefly that said that um, when they were trying to cart them to the mine, it was muddy and the cart got stuck. And so they were trying to lose some weight. So they pushed out two of the bodies and then it got like stuck a little bit more up the road. So then they decided to just like bury them all like in that general area. But that's kind of like why they were separated. Um, Interesting. I had read another theory of why they were separated. Ooh. And one was the fact that the whoever was burying them wanted to keep them separate so that way no one would find them. And like it would be less suspicious. Or like if somebody had, I don't know, I guess stumbled upon it, they wouldn't have found like the whole family. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. What about your tinfoil hat? No, I agree. I think my tinfoil hat for Anna is like, you know, on the shelf. I'm like not really in the room at all. And my tinfoil hat for Anastasia is still on the shelf, but I'm, like, in the room. I'm looking <laughs> at it. And I think what for me, I mean, yes, like, you were mentioning the evidence of, you know, finding the body remains. And, again, just, like, how the whole situation went down. I think it would be really hard for Anastasia to have survived unless they tr- – like, unless somebody, I don't know, like, figured out that she was actually alive and just, like, wanted to keep her alive and whatnot oh you know I what think- this reminded me of sorry what i don't know if you remember the scene in harry potter the last one where voldemort kills harry and uh-huh. then he's at the train station with dumbledore and it's all weird uh-huh. and then he comes back to life and draco's mom is hovering over him and she like pretends yes. that he's dead like yes. i got that vibe i'm like we would need that kind of situation where she's like oh they're all dead and then uh yes that's yeah. exactly what we would need and i think What I was going to add to that was just, like, the lies slash, like, could they not be lies of the government being, like, oh, only, like, Nikolai uh, was dead, you know? But then it turns out the whole family. So it just, like, really left it up for speculation. So it's, like, okay, wait, what is the truth, you know? Yeah, and I guess you can make the argument that, obviously, the Bolshevik government wanted everybody – well, they didn't want everybody to think that the whole family was dead. But then once the news was out, they definitely wanted everybody to be dead. Right. it's not a threat. You know, the family line isn't a threat as long as they're dead. Right. Um, so if one slipped away, you know, it just like depends yeah. on if you believe the reports and if you believe the DNA testing was um, done in, what's the word, like, honesty? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, not in vain, like, question mark. Yeah. exactly and i guess at that point you know okay if there was a situation where they're like oh we're gonna like protect this like one person 
I could imagine that saving a girl would be less risky, obviously, in terms of, you know, I'm all about girl power, but like in all honesty, like, what is she going to do? Like, she's going to be like, hey, like, I want to be the czar. It's like, okay, but at that point, it just like, it's long gone, you know, like there's really, right. what can you do? I don't know. Like, unless they had established some sort of system, like the British, where they have like monarchy and the government, but like, yeah. obviously that didn't happen. So it's just... Yeah. Obviously, yes. yeah, the threat is that she would have a son and then he would have the heir to the throne and then he would lead a revolution against the, you know. So many but, theories. And but, it's, yeah. I think it's one that when it comes down to the logistics and like, okay, did this happen? Like, that's again, like where my tinfoil hat is like on the shelf. But I really do like the idea of, of Anastasia escaping, you know, like, yeah. I think it makes it makes the story a little bit more easy to swallow. Like in terms yeah. of the darkness, yeah. you know. Of course, yeah. you want some hope, but yeah. yeah. And I, think I personally think like- there's no hope. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like the optimist in me, and that's just like where we differ. <laughs> <laughs> that is <laughs> one thing that I also wanted to add that I thought was interesting. It's dark and kind of morbid, but I thought it was interesting that they were able to do this. But so apparently, on top of doing all of those horrible things to the remains, you know, like burning them and putting sulfuric acid on them and everything. Mm-hmm. They also crushed every skull so that you couldn't identify who was who. So when they found all the remains, the anthropologists had to reassemble, they had to obviously reassemble like the skeletons. And it really was difficult to put together the skulls because they were all smashed. But luckily, I guess, they had a photo of the daughters from March of 1917 with shaved heads because they all got measles and I guess that's what they did they shaved the head Mm. so they had this photo and they could see the curvature of their skulls and they could see all the different like I guess differences between the skulls and because of that photo they could put together the remains which is like how lucky can you be that you would get that photo, you know? Yeah, yeah, because that's not a situation that would be common at all. Right. And it was so it was like a year, a little bit more than a year before they were killed, so it's not like a photo of them with shaved heads as small small children, you know, it's like a very right. recent one. But I just thought that that was interesting that they were able to do that from a photo. Yeah, that is actually super interesting. I guess, you know, to pivot to more of my <laughs> Something personality. <like> yeah. <laughs> and just like to bring in a little lightness before we end the episode. Um, this is like a little bit more of a pop culture commentary section. So I'm not really into that. Thank you so much for listening. Um, <laughs> I just like really wanted to rant about this. And that is talking about the Disney Anastasia movie. So my commentary on it not only is it a fabulous movie i highly recommend it again it is on disney plus so people please definitely watch it and shannon i know you haven't watched it in terms of like present day like right now but we'll have a conversation um (laughs) once uh you do watch it and i just wanted to say that i think the movie did a really excellent job at leaving the ending a mystery Because at the end, she is reunited with her grandmother, who we did mention, you know, during this podcast. And like the scene is where her grandmother is at a ball and they're standing behind the curtain and they're about to open it up where they're going to be seen in public. And her grandmother doesn't push her at all to join her in light or like in the public. But she know, like, like, I'm here for you. I support you. 
But like, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. And the reason why she doesn't push her is because she totally understands that she loves Dimitri, um, who is the guy who essentially brought her to her grandmother. And she's like, do what you want. Like you can, like essentially the grandmother's position was, I am happy and I am content because I know you're alive and like, I know you are here and we'll still be in communication, but like, you don't have to step into this whole like royalty situation because if she did, she would not be able to (laughs) marry Dimitri, who is just essentially a commoner and you know, that would just never be allowed. So She essentially, so Anastasia decides not to share with the public. She doesn't go like into the light, into the ball with her grandmother. And she decides to leave with Dimitri. And I just think that it's just like a really beautiful way to end (sighs) the movie where you're left thinking like, okay, if that really is Anastasia and that really is real, could it be possible that she just left to like have a happy life with Dimitri? Maybe she met some guy and just (laughs) didn't want to step into the the royal light because you know i'm sure that has so many responsibilities and whatnot and questions and like ridicule and all this you know and critiques and whatnot so i don't know i just again i just really like that story and there's another scene that i want to talk about and i will keep this short but i mentioned this to you shannon i believe but there is a scene where rasputin is this creature slash soul thing and he has to kill the life of Anastasia, aka he like has this like vengeance where he needs to kill every family member, but like obviously Anastasia survives, so he's like, Oh, I have to kill you because you're the last one for him to live again. And I just want to say this is exactly what we found in Harry Potter, Goblets of Fire. <sighs> no. Yeah, that's the name. Goblets of Fire. In Goblet. Just- There's one goblet. Oh, okay. The Goblet of Fire, fourth <laughs> movie. Thank you. So they meet up in this like garden type maze, right? Like think Edward Cullen, you know. Uh, is in there whatnot and the hedges they go crazy right they're like going mismatch and whatnot and then they meet up in a graveyard and like this is literally harry potter and i don't know i just think it's really interesting and i'd like to point that out did jk rowling steal that from the movie well when was the movie released because harry potter was in the 90s yeah but the fourth book that was not written 1997 goblet of fire is not until like 2000 something 2000 Okay, thank you. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying, people, that I think conspiracy dealer J.K. Rowling stole that from Anastasia. Which, you know what I mean? It's a great scene, but... (laughs) But that concludes uh, today's episode. Thank you so much, I mean, really, uh, to our listeners for listening to me rant about the movie. But also, Shannon, thank you so much for letting me speak my position and feelings about this. Well, it's okay because the rest of the real life stuff is pretty dark. So just throw in some <laughs> Disney. <laughs> exactly. I'm just like trying to throw some light into today's episode. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Of course, of course. So again, that concludes today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed listening to it. And if you have any suggestions on upcoming episodes, please be sure to let us know. You can follow us on Instagram at Bear Roots Pod. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Have a good one. Bye.